Hi, you're listening to Healing Codependency. I'm your host, Erica Wright. (laughs) Okay. Healing Codependency is a six-pot, deeply personal podcast series that will offer you an intimate look at how and why I am the woman I am today. I'm a self-appointed codependency counselor and passionate about up-leveling my own life. The point of this podcast series is to show you that if I can change, anyone can. I share six core turning points in my life and how I created a relatable daily non-codependency practice. Today on the episode, I talk about how I went from feeling completely unsafe in female relationships to trusting in sacred sisterhood. Episode three, Sacred Sisterhood. When I was small, I felt incredibly connected to my mom. I mean, the thing to remember is like, she was really young. And I think maybe that was what was confusing is like, you know, I have a mom that makes so much sense to me is like so tender, so loving, so present. And then pretty much all the other females in my life, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like there's something I'm not getting. It feels like There's a secret club I definitely don't belong to. And so I think really that's where that contrast was so obvious. Throughout my entire childhood and teenagedom, in 20s, I found female relationships very confusing and very scary. I had a sprinkling of good girlfriends, but they never really lasted very long. I definitely remember as a small kid having a definite longing for a best girlfriend. I would kind of have these relationships that felt really tight for a while, but then some shit would always go down. There is so much more about my experience as a young child that is connected to the extraction of my blood dad than I will ever comprehend. You know, when that happened when I was three, the extraction of that and how my life changed and I had a new dad and this new life The way that I processed that was, oh, the world is not safe. People will disappear. And my nature is one of enjoying and looking for connectivity, you know? And this is actually something that I talk about in my work with people. When you're really young, And, you know, your parents aren't skilled at energy regulation or emotional regulation. You build 
these survival mechanisms that create people becoming empaths. I had this way of dropping into everybody in a room, which I'm sure it was about seeing if I was safe, but then became, oh, I read the vibe. You're not available. You're not available. You're available. You're not available. You're available. The thing that I would often notice for whatever reason, be it something that I made up myself or whether or not it was true, or it's because my blood father was extracted from my life is males were more available for the first half of my life. Males felt safer. The reality is relationships with dudes were always way easier. As soon as they were clear, we weren't sleeping together. <laughs> They're great. I just felt a lot safer with them because there wasn't the mental and psychic gymnastics and a lot of the experiences that I had with female friends were very unsafe. It was always the, now I'm mad at you and guess why? And you're out of here and shit like that, which was always very confusing. So the majority of through my teenage years and my twenties were dudes. It's like, while I was in Boston, they were straight dudes. And then when I moved to San Francisco, they were gay dudes. which was the ultimate best of both worlds. I lived in a house in the Lower Haight with, I think, six gay dudes. We all worked at Tower Records. It was one of the best times of my life. There was like a lot of space for emotions and Plus, it's very helpful when you have someone who's more stylish than you telling you what you should wear. And sexually, they're really open. So there wasn't anyone telling me I was a whore. Yes. Wow. This is really, really liberating. And I was a California person stuck in Boston. This is, this is all that's wrong. I still would always notice these female relationships where these women were super tight. And it was really confusing to me. They had a union that could not be touched by anyone else. They seem really comfortable. And I don't know if I could ever be that comfortable. So Gwyn coming into my life was really important. We were bartending together. I got a job at a bar in San Francisco, bartending, like a nightclub, and she was working there. And she's significantly younger than me. I think it was a lot older than her. Definitely, I would say, seven years, eight years older than her. We were the only two women that worked in the bar. And she was a little bit shy, but very friendly. Immediately, I felt like 
this feels like it's going to be okay. Like we're not in, you know, we pooled tips, which kills the competition. It's like, that's great. And we actually start, I mean, we started by having a really good time together and having a sense of humor about the work that we were doing, being the only two females behind the bar. And there was a bonding in that. I mean, it's insane, really. <laughs> when you're the person behind the bar. I think that was a connecting point. And then she was really easy to get along with. And I felt very not judged by her, which was a first. We ended up spending a lot of time outside of work together and really having such a loving, safe, relationship with a female that did not feel stressful or tense. And a lot of what we did was self-care stuff together, you know, like yoga, we'd go to the women's bathhouse. I think that's something that also really bonded us, you know, is because our work was so physically and energetically intense and yeah, she would just prove over and over again that she wasn't going to make me wrong and that she could take the love and give the love. Looking back on it, she really just opened up the door enough that it was like, oh, this is a real thing. And then, you know, she was an actress and she was moving to New York and I was just like, oh, fuck, seriously? <laughs> and that was really hard when she was leaving. I was like... I really thought it was the exception. We're still really tight and she still lives on the East Coast. I had to get out of bartending or I was literally going to drink myself to death. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's really something that uses you up. And there was a clothing store that I really liked. And I was like, I'll just go see if I can get a job here. And, you know, just whatever discount they give me, I'll just like buy clothes with it. And I went in and it was a totally female-owned store. All women owned and run. And, you know, I just was like, I want a job here. I like the clothes. You should hire me. Very charming. So, of course, they did. In this clothing store, all of these women had the most amazing relationships. I was watching them. No one was gossiping about anybody. No one was, like, nothing that I was used to was happening. This is a thing. Women can work together and everyone's, all anyone's saying is how much they love the other people. They would have meetings upstairs and I would listen to them like laughing. And then after I would watch them all hug, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? I, I want this. What is this? And eventually uh, the woman that owned that store ended up opening up a pole dancing studio I ended up getting a job there. And the culture of that store got dropped right into that dance studio, which was about, we are here for one another. It's all about the love. Everyone's behaving really well and being really loving and really grown up. They wanted me there. They were like, you would do so great here. Come do it. It's really empowering. And first I was like, well, why do I want to dance around like a stripper? Like, I don't get it. 
And then I will say, when you are in a dark room filled with women cheering for one another while they are pushing the limits of their vulnerability, physically, emotionally, and mentally, it is one of the most glorious things I have ever seen. And it's really, really fun. Take all of the objectification out of it. And it's fun to dress up and dance around. And to be able to do that in the safety of other women looking at you and applauding in a non-judgmental way absolutely changed who I was. We were a community. It was the first sense of community that I had ever had. And that felt like exactly where I wanted to be. And every single person that I worked with there is still 100% one of my best and closest sisters to this day. Natalie was one of the students. I remember the day she walked in and she's mind-blowingly beautiful. I remember when she walked in the room, I was like, damn. When I was a little kid and I spent a lot of time watching television, one of the things that I would feel most when I was watching Donnie and Marie or I was watching Sonny and Cher is the women would walk out in these dresses. It was all sequins, all Bob Mackie. I want that. I want that dress. That is what I'm talking about, you know, and I'm five and my mom's like, uh, I just sewed you this Holly Hobby dress. You cannot wear those dresses. You don't have the right body. And I'd be like, no, I want that. It's the most beautiful. Also, when, you know, when she walked in the door and I was like, I want that. I would also say there was something about me that recognized that that belonged to me. And time went on and everyone's in and out of classes and one of the women in the classes had a potty. She went and at that potty, no one else was there. And we spent all night <laughs> drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs, basically falling in love and basically just being like, here's what I like, do you like that? Yeah, I like that, okay, we should start a band. Hey, we should do this and like, oh my God, I love that and love that. I mean, it was just like the meeting of the too much twins. So a lot of what my female relationships would reflect to me throughout my childhood and my teens is like, I was too much too loud, too hot, too big, too slutty. You're too much. You're over the top. It's always over the top. And we're standing in this woman's kitchen yelling at each other about what we love and how much we love each other and how we're going to do everything together till the end of time. And that was it. And we ended up sleeping in the same bed that night. And that was it from that point on. Okay, are you coming over? Yeah, I'm coming over. This is what we're doing. Okay, great. And much to the dismay of my boyfriend at that time, and much to the dismay of her husband at the time, the too much twins were definitely too much for those dudes. And we really did 
use that as a launch pad. We started a band. From there, every single part of our life became intertwined. Into yoga, that was great. We would go to yoga. We started going to the Native American church and doing ceremonies and doing all that. And the more we came together, the more our relationships with our partners faded. This is all platonic. It was a really beautiful experience even for my boyfriend at the time, and even for her husband, it's like their major complaints about us individually and together where we were too much. Being with her made it okay for me to be myself. And, you know, I think in the first couple of years of our relationship, there was a lot of reassurance that you're not gonna ditch me, are you? <laughs> she had had a lot of similar experiences. So there was a lot of emerging more as ourselves and the other person staying. And not only the other person staying, the other person applauding and then going, I'm doing that too. And never in any framework that felt threatening or this is my material. You it was just, yes, amplification of each other to each other eventually. I had the courage to leave the relationship that was not working. And definitely, I think that was possible because of her. Just the unwavering acceptance in every moment. It healed me beyond the beyond. And I really think now I have the most fulfilling, brilliant, healthy, vibrant, unimaginably elevated relationships with women because of her. She was just able to meet a part of me that it wasn't anybody else's job to meet it. It wasn't my mom's. It wasn't my sister's. This was a prayer that I made when I was a kid. I mean, I remember being like, I want a best friend. I want a best friend. I want a best friend, you know? And like, it was really easy for me to feel that way about people, but like I wanted someone to feel that way about me <laughs> and then have it feel safe. There wasn't anything that I felt like I had to dumb down for her. Anything that I found brilliant about her, which is a lot, was an inspiration and a genuine applause. And there was no competition in it, not a sliver. And it really bolstered me to become the kind of female friend I always wanted to be and to be able to have and do my part in relationships that I've always wanted to have. When I feel into being a kid, a lot of what I feel most of the time is like being really disconnected, you know? Just never really belonging to any kind of crew, you know? And uh, this is North Shore Boston. It's all about the click. And I feel like I would slide in and out of them, but 
you know, and maybe that was what made leaving it so easy. I don't really feel like this is my place. So, and, you know, and eventually her, her marriage ended too. And we have gone through so many versions of ourselves with each other. So my husband has this thing that he says, yeah, yeah, baby, I know, I know. You know, Natalie's your soulmate. It's okay. I, I mean, I'm cool with being your husband. That's good enough for me because uh, Frank, our dog, is my soulmate. And, and I feel really good about that. <laughs> He's not in competition with it. It's about uplifting each other at no detriment to the other person. The transparency that we have of the safety of the years we've put in and, and the behavior that we've put in. No one's doing anything that they don't want to do and everybody gets to ask for what they want and the love doesn't get cut off. Being able to be present in the different stages of our lives and the healings we've been in. One of the hugest turning points for me was in, I think it was 2014, I was very serious about having a baby. And part of the fun of the beginning of my relationship with Natalie was like, we were the potty twins. We were the potty fluffers. We were the best time, good time ladies. And not only did we enjoy each other tremendously in the throes of booze and drugs, but you know, we got a lot of uh, praise and appreciation from other people for being the funnest, gals in the world and all of that was true and it was a really great time and uh you know I went and had this appointment with this acupuncturist and I don't know I think I'd been trying for about six months and nothing was happening and it's also worth mentioning like my whole life in my relationship with booze I always knew that it wasn't a regular relationship with booze so, you know, seeing this acupuncturist and just having him basically be like, well, you know, you don't get to be pregnant and poison yourself. Really, what I came up against was, ah, this is probably going to be the thing that ends this relationship. It's like, if I choose sobriety, I'm out. I remember the day that I told her. And I was like, you know, I uh, I think I gotta get soba. And I was terrified. And she was like, that's so awesome, sissy. You should totally do that. And I was like, okay, all right, okay. And I just, you remember like through the first couple years, of my sobriety, they're feeling like a lot of disconnects for me. She was still drinking. There was a lot of awkwardness at certain points in the relationship for me. I would feel very much on the outside and very much not a pat and, you know, and in those moments, it was like really important for me to just just stay in myself, you know? It's like, I'm not, I don't want to recruit anyone to do anything. And like, is it possible that I can still have the connection in this relationship if we're on two different trajectories? 
just wanted it to work out. And the thing that's really great is my husband, who is sober also, he'd just be like, you know, it's not all that stuff that you think it is. Just keep your hat open. Don't confuse <laughs> the booze with there not being any love. Stay in yourself and keep doing what you're doing. It's all going to work out all right. You know, and I would just pray like, <laughs> I, ju I just want to feel close. Like whatever happens, I, you know, I don't want to tell anyone what to do. I just want this relationship to like continue. And like, I want to believe it's bigger than this. In the past, what I thought relationships were was it is necessary for me to give up something of myself in order to be in a relationship. That healing that I got the couple of years that I was sober and she wasn't, and I don't have to participate in any kind of thing that feels like suffering for me, for someone to know that I'm present and I love them. And that was, that was huge, huge. I wanted my baby more than anything. Not abandoning myself and staying in that prayer of she wants what's good for me. When it became clear I was gonna be on the IVF egg donor path, I stopped caring about how I felt about being around people when they were drinking or, you know, being around her when she was drinking. And, you know, and then when she got sober, when she said, I really want to get sober, there was so much of me that relaxed, you know, but like I didn't even know was still tense. Thank God I would do the path no matter what. But I'd be lying if I said it wasn't easier. Walking a path of surrender and vulnerability and being in the same prayer for the exploration and acceptance of being present is intimacy to me. The elements of codependency that really came up in my relationship with Nat was my choice to get sober. Even though she wasn't going to do it in that moment, I was choosing my health and well-being over something that we really identified with and that there could be individuality and my own well-being gets served in the sameness of us. And I think it was going to let me know if this relationship was conditional. The beauty and the glory of really being able to experience unconditional love. So we've been friends almost 20 years now. And we've had at least six different lives. 
there's so much that we have done. We grew up together. Really being able to experience the beauty of a person, maybe not agreeing with you or doing what you're doing, but always staying. I would not have been the mother of daughters that I would have wanted to be without having my relationship with Natalie. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The too much, okay, you're too much, in the framework of codependency is this. You make me extraordinarily uncomfortable and I don't know what to do in the presence of you because I don't know how to be with people who are unlike me. Okay, so the opposite of that is there is an infinite amount of space for everybody. Thank you for listening to Healing Codependency. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about my one-on-one and group counseling programs, please find me online at ericawright.org. That's E-R-I-K-A-W-R-I-G-H-T dot O-R-G, and on Instagram at ericawrighthcd. That's E-R-I-K-A-W-R-I-G-H-T-H-C-D. This production was co-created by award-winning media midwife Ari Golden. You can find a link to her work in the show notes. Please join us next time as my journey of healing codependency continues. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you find it helpful. Healing Codependency is sponsored by my company, Superstar Dark Chocolate, a superfood bar with all organic raw ingredients. Find it and eat it at www.superstar.com. That's www.supahstah.com. And God's Eye Oils natural hand-blended beauty care and custom perfumes. To experience the full line of products, please visit www.godseyeoils.com. That's www.godseyeoils.com. You can find links to our sponsors and learn more about each episode in the show notes.